Hello, Wally. Yo. Yo. Hey, welcome to the show, my man. How you doing, fam? I'm good. I'm good, brother. Good. So, how's the, how's the sound? Is it sounding clear? Yeah, you sounded pretty clear, man. You sound really good. You sound really good. So, hello, everybody. This is another installment of Decimation Studios, where we take a close look at uh, indie comics. And today we have a special guest, which is Wally McNair, my um, big brother. I like to call him in the comic book industry. He's been a mentor and an inspiration to me. Uh, he's been doing uh, amazing art quality books for over 10 years. He's done books like The Legend of Black Panda, Skull Kids, Fairy Tale Nights, and King Supreme. He's also worked with Archie Comics, ID Publishing, Tops, Game Informer, 21 Draw Inc., Black Sheep Skate Company, and Nike's SB. Wally, welcome to the show, fam. What's going on, brother? Good to be here. I appreciate you having me. Oh, anytime, anytime. So, you know, you've been in this industry for a long time. You want to tell the listeners how you first got into it and what has kept you going for so long? Um... Uh, you know, I probably stumbled it, stumbled into it, really. Um, just doing what most kids do, finding comics, finding a love for comics. And then one day realizing that people were actually making a living of some sort doing this. And that started the, the journey from there. Once I realized that it was a possibility, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, it's, your art's amazing. Um, it's it's been very inspirational for me to to spend time with you and talk with you and watch your art. It's like magic, you know. Appreciate um, that. You know, King Supreme is amazing. If you haven't had a chance to see this book, please pick it up. It is amazing. It's done by Wally and another fellow friend of ours, Danny J. Quick. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about King Supreme, Wally? Uh. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate the kind words. Um, <laughs> King Supreme, uh, it's, a, it's a character that Danny Quick originally created some time ago. And um, he has a whole universe he's building at Fourth Wall Productions. And back then, he would hire me to do like covers or pinups. And then he, he uh, bought me on to do an issue of the book. And at that time, I think he was still kind of figure out, trying to figure out what he wanted to do with the character. So... A little time had passed and nothing was, being, was really happening with the character. And one day I was just sitting there. I had just lost a cousin of mine, a very close cousin of mine, um, had been murdered. And I was kind of trying to figure out a way to, to honor him, keep his name alive, and at the same time tell a story and just trying to figure out what that would be like. And, and I happened to have a cover of King Supreme sitting there that I had done in the past and it just kind of spoke to me so I reached out to Danny told him I wanted to revise the character revamp the story and work out a joint ownership deal so we could put the book out together and if he didn't think the story was was too far from what he was trying to do let's make it happen and and that's pretty much what sparked it so from there we spent a couple years kind of figuring out what what was going to happen I figured out what I want the story to be came up with some other characters um, and we launched a, kick, a Kickstarter for it that ended up raising about six thousand dollars, which for us was the most any of our either of our us had ever done as far as a book. 
and the book was a prelude book which just kind of tells a little bit about what it is to be a leader or a king king supreme is a is a lot about the symbolism of a leader and being in a leadership position position and the backdrop of what leads to, to people being in that position and and the power and responsibility kind of kind of a play off of that whole great power great responsibility concept but from the standpoint of the obstacles that a lot of people that come from certain environments predominantly people of color the the obstacles that we deal with on a day-to-day basis and then you suddenly wake up and find yourself in a position of power and how do you deal with that you know what i mean and on the flip side there's a character called legacy who is the antagonist i prefer antagonist over villain because good or bad sometimes it's just based on perspective and you kind of follow some of his story and they both have supreme crowns and in the story you kind of find out that there are these seven crowns and each crown has different powers and hails from a different part of the universe and has been worn by different beings throughout history so ryan smith has this the king supreme onyx crown the uh the, the black onyx crown and he's he's young to being a supreme so we kind of watch in the first story you kind of see him get it but you don't get a bu- bunch of backstory and in the new story that's coming up for kickstarter that we're about to do you get more of that true backstory and watch him develop to become the supreme that he wants to be yeah that's that's just that's amazing man that's that's deep you know um and you know the way that you draw king supreme is, is amazing i like the the way that there's like he's not a traditional hero in the sense of having you know the superman like look or you know the batman type mask you know it's like right. anybody could be behind that mask and be king supreme right right um you know that that's that's amazing so one of the things that um i wanted to do today is just sit here and chop it up a little bit and then we'll get into your next project and you know talk about some of the things that you see in the indie business that you like and some of them that you don't like and where do you see yourself in the next five years um and as far as an indie creator so what are some of the things that you like about being an indie creator and what are some of the things that you don't like? Um, I mean, the number one thing for me is ownership and freedom. So being indie allots a ton of both of those things, but you also take complete responsibility of the success or quote unquote failures that occur. Excuse me. When you're um on the indie side, you don't have anybody to answer to except yourself but you also have to keep yourself in check keep yourself motivated keep yourself going and that can be a beautiful thing in some ways but you are you know the responsibility of marketing promoting distribution completing the projects finding the funding or raising the capital to fund projects like all those things fall squarely on your shoulders so there's a lot of give and take on on all sides you know in a perfect world i guess if you have all all the funding in place, it makes it easier to put everything else in, in structure. So one of the toughest aspects of being indie is often funding. You know, you know yourself what it takes to get a book done sometimes. Um, but at the same time, I, I really enjoy just the, the the aspect of ownership and freedom 
making decisions and not having to answer to anybody. But I've also worked in situations where, you know, you had other people that had had input, which is fine in, in some scenarios, you know. So I think it's all a little bit of give and take, no matter which route you go. Right, right. What are the thing? What are the one of the things that you see right now out there that is inspiring as a black creator? I mean, I think we're enter, entering into a re, re, uh, renaissance for black creators right. right now. I think I think this is a moment for us to to rise up and and experience and become part more visible in the community. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it looks like there's more attention been paid you know i mean i come from an era when i first got into this there weren't many black people many people of color period doing this you know it was literally a handful if that and that's no matter where i would go just as a kid trying to find creators you know there was things happening but it was pockets and by the time i started doing it it was still small pockets and when you would see somebody else, it was incredible. It, it just felt amazing that somebody else was there. You know what I mean? And in today's time period, though, you 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 see so many more creators stepping out there and putting new things out there and 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 using their voice in the outlet. So it's very cool to look around and, and know that you're not the only one, or that there's only two or three people, you know, showing up to the table now. And and is and to me it's important. It's very important that that voice is there and that we're not just waiting on someone to give us the space. Because I never waited on anyone, and, and, and it's good to see the younger cats coming up into this, feeling the same way. If if not more than I may have at the time, just pushing through and saying, "Look, we're here. This is what we're doing." So watching these different projects, watching the Kickstarters be successful, um, watching some creators going out of their way to try and support others like it's, it's, a, it's a very good time to see yeah and, and it's it's very and for me it's a it's an amazing journey to be part of this to see this trend grow i can remember when you and i when you took me to my first comic-con and i sat at the table with you and it was just amazing to see how you interact with your fans and how even though you didn't make a sell i remember you saying to me it's like it's important to spend time and talk to those people who come to my table because i know later on they might remember me down the road and come back and say hey you know i love your work and you know and, and they help support you right um you know and that's the one thing I, I have to say about wally mcnair he is an amazing people person when you get him out there uh, on the comic book circuit, he takes the time to talk to the people who stop at his table, and he drops some serious knowledge on you. You know, um, I, I can remember when that young man came up and he was talking about King Supreme, and he asked you a certain question, and you dropped some serious knowledge on him, and you took the time to share that knowledge. And I think that's something that a lot of people can learn from you. Is it's about being approachable about being willing to talk to your fans you know and I, I, I and that and that's definitely inspirational to me um so you've got a project that's getting ready to here to launch pretty soon you want to break that down to us a little bit yeah man um a little bit of chaos uh so you know again on the indie circuit 
ownership is huge, huge for me. So following up King Supreme, uh, we're about to, on October 16th, do a new Kickstarter to launch the first graphic novel for King Supreme. So this will be a, an 100, a 100 page graphic novel telling more or less the full story of the character and and the first volume of a two volume series but along with that i'm also launching a book called super bastard which is totally separate character totally separate story but it's another story that i've been working on for a while that i just felt like especially in today's time it was a good time to go ahead and get it rolling and get it out there so the campaign is also launching my new publishing venture once emperors and it's kind of my opportunity to introduce a new book, introduce a new publishing house, and also at the same time, reintroduce and continue the movement of King Supreme. Let's, uh, let's delve a little bit into your new book, uh, Super Bastard. Well, let's get, give the listeners a little bit of insight and your thought process behind this new story that you're creating, a new universe. The Troublemaker book. <laughs> um well you know um in short i think all books are are just stories told from a certain perspective right whether it be the 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 actual writer or the writer writing from somebody else's viewpoint or whatever um with super bastard his his name is jadon ali and you know the story originated when Mike Brown got killed, got murdered. And the only thing that kept running through my mind is how do you change things if you're not in positions of power to change things? Like, I'm not talking about voting. I'm not talking about um, just protests and nothing against none of those things. But what it, what would it take to go beyond all of that? You know what I mean? And you look at this power structure and you think, absolute power can only be derailed by something more powerful than it you know what i mean so mm-hmm. what would that be if it was a if you physically made that if you if there was something that embodied that power what would it be and that's that's what birthed the idea of, of, of super bastard so in short he's a a young kid who grows up in a different world than we live in currently in the world he lives in there are two americas there's old america which is what we currently would be living in. And then there's New America, which hovers above old America in a protected dome that is guarded by military and supers. And for the most part, the only people that live there are the elite. Um, from time to time, they do bust people in from the old from old America to do day to day jobs, things that they don't want to do. And they also have people who live on farms, who work on farms essentially all their lives they can't leave they have a roof over their head but they work day and night to provide food for those who live in these this new america uh clam shell i guess you would call it so super bastard grows up as a child on one of these farms with his grandparents never knowing his parents all he has is a necklace that was given to him supposedly from his parents to remember them by and he grows up in fact infatuated with the idea of supers supers in this story are the equivalent of superheroes in any other story but 
once he realizes he has powers, his goal becomes to become a super himself and do his part in protecting everything that he has grown to love, not knowing that there's a whole other world that exists that he has never experienced in old America. So essentially, we follow the story of him growing up, becoming a super, and then running into a young lady named Patricia who educates him on certain aspects of life that he was never aware of, which causes an awakening. And that awakening is where all hell breaks loose. And from that point on, we kind of see what it means when power runs into power and what happens when the structure is really challenged, not just by the voice of the people, but also essentially the hand of the people in Superbastard. Right. So it's like you're taking a play on, you know, how they say absolute power corrupts. But in this case, what if power doesn't corrupt? But what if absolute power gives you the ability to affect change, to bring about freedoms and equality in, in a world where people are being held down? Right. I mean, based, right. you know, and it's like. You know, if you had a Luke Cage or, or a Captain America or a Superman that actually realistically in this world who could see some of the shit that's going on right now, would they use their abilities and powers to effectively shape right. change? And it, seem, and it seems with your story that you're actually putting a hero in that position to make that decision to make right. change. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I'm just going to say, you're right, yeah, because, I mean, we... We see all these stories and, you know, I'm sure things have been tackled here and there. But for the most part, the superheroes are always just doing superhero things like there's a mm -hmm. ship falling out of the sky or some creature trying to take over the earth or whatever diabolical thing. But it's very rare that they address things that are affecting people on a day to day basis. You know what I mean? And so how super are you really, you know? Right. And it sounds like to me as this, it sounds like to me, if this individual is trying to break this system that he's quickly going to be viewed as a villain when he, as he tries to make right. effect change. Right. And and so the name Super Bastard comes from just that idea of him being a bastard child, essentially, not just in that he doesn't know his parents, but also that the people he should be standing for don't 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 accept him as as one of them because he's been fighting for the other side for so long but he was he wasn't aware of where he came from and then when he chooses to try to do something different the people he's been fighting for the country that has been a father to him so to speak is now against him and disowns him because he's fighting for the other side you know what i'm saying so it's like in his case ultimate power but a bastard to both sides but that doesn't change his desire to write what he sees is wrong right right that is amazing that is amazing so what were some of the things that inspired you to as far as creating this hero what did you pull from any other heroes as far as powers and abilities um to create your hero um what was the prototype uh, loosely sort of. Superman. I mean, loosely and not so loosely. You know, uh, I always found it interesting that Superman was an alien, but he was still white and drew essentially his powers come from the sun. And, you know, melanated people, mm -hmm. people with melanin draw a certain 
energy from the sun. You know, this is scientific. And it's not the knock mm -hmm. the character of Superman. He's still a cool character, but in my mind, it was always like, well, should be a black dude who can do that too, which I know now they have um, a black Superman as well. But it was just that idea of, well, what if there was this, this kid who came from essentially uh, a farm, sharecropper farm, who drew his powers from the sun as well to some degree, but not just the sun. That was just one of many aspects of what gave him his abilities. So he, you know, he has the, the typical things, flight, um, strength, speed, I guess super heat vision and, and all those other cool things. But he also has just the, the rage of centuries of pain that kind of cause a reaction within him and the fact that he is alien. So there's no set power types or no set limit as to what he can become. And that's what makes him the threat. The other supers have certain limitations that have been tested, but his have never been pushed to the extreme. So no one really knows what he's capable of. Not even him. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were talking, you brought up a, a, a very important point. Superman is an alien and right. he's an immigrant. Now, given the state of affairs right now, particularly in this country, and some of the viewers might, listeners might think this is crazy where I'm going with this, but would you think if Superman existed in this time period, in this reality, would he be accepted, even though he is an alien immigrant if if aliens and whatever were accepted or whatever would you feel that they would embrace him even though he's an immigrant and he's in he's in the u.s illegally he's on the planet illegally if you look at it um, right. based on certain right. laws that govern us um well i think being white even as an alien would be serve some benefits um I think having the powers he has would serve some benefits, but I think whether or not he would truly be accepted would come down to whether or not he plays the game, how the powers that be want him to play it or whether he's stepping out of line, so to speak in their mind, you know what I mean? So if he was fighting right. for all people truthfully and taking the stance of a super bastard or someone like that, he'd probably be an enemy to the, to the system completely. And if he was willing to stay in line and just handle the things that they want him to handle, he'd probably be well accepted because he'd be a great asset to what what's going on, you know, in my mind. Right, right, right. And as far as we mean playing the system, if he was to bend his knee right. to certain governments, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to swear allegiance right. to the United States. Or like with the Red Sun, he swore allegiance right. to the Soviet Union. And eventually, I think he ended up running the Soviet Union, I think so, right? yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you, yeah, you bring yeah. that up because even with stories like, like the Red Sun and, and these alternate versions, I, I think sometimes when you start inserting blackness into things, people take it mm -hmm. to a different, they take it to heart in a different way sometimes. You know, some people can just see it as a story, regardless of whether they agree or don't agree or whatever, they can see it as a story and gain a certain aspect of entertainment or even maybe enlightenment or whatever. But others, as soon as you say this is a black issue or issue for people of color or issue for this or that, they they 
they no longer want to see it as a story anymore. Now it's like, well, why are you have to tell that story? And I'm like, well, you didn't say that when there was a red sun dealing with the Soviet Union and et cetera. You didn't say that when, you know, other characters have had these things that they overcame or fought to do or whatever, because this is just history or this is a fictional take on history. You know, people romanticize the Romans like they were just great warriors and wonderful people, but they don't talk about the fact that they were also out there conquering and killing and you know, especially the Spartans, like the lifestyles that these these people actually lived. We only get tied up in the fantasy side of, or the you know the heroic side, heroic side of who they were, and you know it's it's just kind of frustrating to a certain degree because it's like words. So when it comes to this other us, there's a problem. Why? Why can't you just take it for what it is? You know what I mean? Yeah, and you bring up a good point when you brought up the Spartans because if, if it, you know, that is one of the things when I was in the Corps going through one of their self-defense courses, they would use the Spartans as a symbol of warrior ethos. But yet, these were the same warriors that when a baby was born, they would take it and stand over a cliff and, and examine it to see if there was any malformation, if it was uh, healthy or had any uh, malformalities or anything that would prevent it from being a warrior. And if it was, they would just throw the baby over a cliff. And, you know, and and people are like, oh, that's acceptable. Or when they reached a certain age, they would throw the, force the children to go out to survive. And then in order to survive, they would have to steal food. And and if they were caught, they would be beaten savagely. So... You know, it is amazing how people romanticize these type of, uh, of like the Romans or warriors. I mean, the Romans used right. to crucify people and brutally, brutally subjugate uh, the barbarian tribes. But some people might say that's just part of bringing civilization to right. a backwards people, um, which if we go down the road that's how some people have said religion has been used against native americans and even uh africans when they were brought over here and changed in slavery or when they you know took land exactly. from the native americans but you know so i think we have a obligation we have the opportunity as in creators as black men or as anybody who's a minority or anybody who's woke to use our ability to tell stories to people and let them make their own decisions because if throughout history artists and writers and musicians have used their talents to help affect change and bring about you know uh, right. a social change right. or social justice at the least to start so, a conversation yeah. right Right. And I, and I really believe Super Bastard, I hope, starts a conversation. I hope it is, you know, people are like, whoa, wow, well, this is a different view from what I've seen in life. And maybe there's some kind of validity here. There's some validity in the way the system is not necessarily working the way it should be. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of the hope, man. I mean, you know, it's... It's no guarantee of anything, especially when you have people having direct conversations with each other and, and still not able to get the message across for some. But it's another outlet. It's another way of trying to express 
and and share the story and speak openly and give viewpoints out you know what i mean but at the same time tell a story about an mm-hmm. interesting character who at its core most people can relate to so let's talk about some of the rewards you're going to be offering in your up upcoming kickstarter and we'll talk about a little bit about your new publishing house and how you came up with the design for your publishing house yes. which is i believe a tiger king tiger um well some some of the rewards of course the the graphic novels are the core of of the campaign um but we also have t-shirts uh with logos from king supreme the tiger logo i call it the king tiger logo for once emperors um skate decks with art and this is art from gallery events that i've done this is art from the comics directly as well as the logos from for some of the the titles uh, i believe we have stickers which will be more or less i guess chibi you know the little cute style drawings of characters that people like for whatever reason um we're gonna have some of those i'm not major into that that style of of art but i see the appeal of it to some people so we're gonna have some of those we had some similar to that with the last campaign and those went pretty well with a lot of people so we're gonna have some of those again um enamel pins snapback hats hoodies the hoodies will come in a select few colors and man i don't know we got like a million different things in this campaign um bookmarks coasters enamel pins stickers collector's cards skate decks i found one of my lists so i can read them off a little bit better um you know just a plethora of things and just trying to give people a chance to figure out what works for them what makes sense for them and you can get one book both books or some of the tiers that don't have a book at all if you just want to support and you like another item, then you can grab those items. So it'll be a, a nice mix of opportunities. There'll also be some variant covers and uh, black and white versions of the books, which I like to call artist editions for people who aren't, who just like to see the black and white art so they can kind of see pencil strokes and pen strokes and things of that nature. That's oh, so awesome, man. I, I can't wait for the Kickstarter launch. Do you have any other future projects in the pipes or are you working on any other projects with anybody else who's watching the Kickstarter or do you have any future plans down the road on any other projects so we can just give a flavor to some of the people out here who do listen to this podcast of what to look forward to as they see this publishing house grow and launching the new book. And uh, the next well, you know, um, me and you have something we're working on. Um that we don't have a set date for release on yet, but I, I imagine people will start kind of, we'll start buzzing about it with people sometime in 2021. Um, Danny, who's the co-owner of King Supreme, I think he's going to launch something towards the end of the year or early next year. My personal goal is to, is to launch at least four new projects next year. Um, that are Kickstarter or Indiegogo and in between that put out additional projects that maybe we don't do campaigns for, but just fund out of pocket and put them out there so people can get them or make them web releases so people can get access to it. Just building up content, good stories and acquiring new things to put out to people. 
Um, man, I, I don't want to try to start naming too many things because I'll probably forget somebody and then somebody will be looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, but there's, there's a lot of dope projects going on right now and a lot of them that, that'll be happening between now and the end of the year, you know, so, and then me personally, I have another project that I hope to, to launch in February, but it's not a book. It's something art related, but not a book at all. So I'll, I'll mention more about that later when it gets closer. Yeah. Yeah, so um, while you mentioned it, you oh, and, and you I have, have a project launching, together. I, I, um, make sure and it's that be clear. You have something launching in November as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah okay. actually Halloween, mine's launching, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, on Halloween, I think we're 19 days away from the launch, we are launching our Decimation Earth Book 2 Kickstarter. Um, so... Um, yeah, we're really excited about that. Um, we were able to come out of the gate with our first book right. and able to hit our goal. Um, so, you know, Wally's going to be doing a variant cover on it, um, which will be exclusively to the Kickstarter. Uh, we have another artist, Chris Williams, out of Philadelphia, that'll be doing an exclusive variant cover. And a good friend of ours uh, in the community, Bernie Cook, will also be doing a, uh, a variant cover exclusive of Kickstarter. And we have Shauna Lee, who is our main artist for Destination Earth, who will be doing an exclusive uh, right. uh, exclusive variant cover. So we're going to have a, a lot of wonderful things. And, you know, it's, it's nerve-wracking. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about doing kickstarters you and i have gone back and forth about kickstarters or how you know and i think people don't realize the thought and the effort and the stress and the anxiety and crunching the numbers of right. doing these gofunding projects for for your for these books i mean a lot of people out there think oh you know i can make money off these kickstarters and that will help supplement my income right some not a lot but some people, some people do. But in reality, it doesn't. You know, I learned the hard way that a lot of your costs that that you accrue gets eaten up by your Kickstarter. And and I think Kickstarter takes what about five to ten yeah, percent of yeah, they definitely what you take make a percent, and then the there may be a, another percentage that comes out based on who hand the, I guess the transaction fees for credit cards, and that's not even including taxes. Right, right. So, hey, if you want to get some support, get out there, check out these Kickstarters, and uh, help us fund these projects because these are wonderful, wonderful projects, and they need to get out there. So, um, well, that's about almost our time. Uh, but before I go, Wally, I'm going to ask you a question here. Who was your most inspirational hero or the hero that you fell in love with when you were growing up, when you first became enamored uh, comics? Strictly comics. Um, the first one would probably have been Spider-Man, I think. That's who was probably introduced to me first. So either Spider-Man or Batman. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which one. It was one of those two first. And and the thing with Spider-Man, which is similar with King Supreme, was even though we knew he was Peter Parker, once he put the mask on, you could 
kind of imagine yourself being that character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about Grendel. Yeah, I, remember, I don't know if you remember the Grendel. black and white costume. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I think he. I think that was Dark Horse. I think it was Dark was Horse. Yeah. It, it was Dark Horse. Like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grendel was one of those that I really got enamored with. My younger cousin had the entire Grendel collection, and I think he still has it. I'm going to try to see if I can get it from him one of these days. Um, but yeah, that was one of the characters along with Batman that I became enamored with. But that's all we have time today for our show. I want to thank Wally McNair for appearing on our Destination Studios podcast. Hopefully I can get him to come sure. back on a couple more times as a guest host and we'll be chop- yeah, we'll be chopping it up and just talking about, you know, what's going on in the indies and how we're doing with our projects and uh and uh what we like about the current storylines in certain comics and what we don't like. So I want to thank everyone. Have a good night and Appreciate look forward you. to Hello. Hello. Sean. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the Decimation Studios podcast. How are you doing today, my man? I'm, I'm, I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Yo, always, always, always. We're waiting for uh, Wally to join us and uh, All right. we're going to kick it off. But for the meantime, you and I are just going to chop it up a little bit until Wally joins us. So to everyone out there, welcome to another Decimation Studios podcast where we look at what it's like to be an indie creator and the process of creating a comic book and how to promote your, your book. Uh, one of the things that we discuss here uh, is what it's like to have your own flagship book, how to work hard to get it out there. And then from time to time, we have guest artists who the show, and we talk to them about what it's like to be an indie artist and their struggles and what are some of the things that they're trying to share and articulate through their work. So right now we have Sean Aline, who I'm Word. excited to have because Sean Aline is the main artist on our book, Decimation Earth. Uh, he's a freelance artist, writer, and inker. Um, he has formed a comic book networking group called Zion. Um, mm. And you want to break down what Zion is really quick, Sean? All right, it will do. Uh, as I said, man, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's an honor. Um, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on uh, Destination Earth, too, as the uh, main pitcher. Um, so Zion Network is, um, in the simplest form, a comic book networking group. Um, started way back in like 2008 or something like that. Um, but uh, basically what it is is that it's supposed to be a networking platform for indie artists um but outside of that is for any person who's a lover of comic books and pop culture medium and um so whether you are like uh or whether you're an actual creator a writer penciler whatever um or you you're a casual fan of the pop culture world and comic books it was supposed to be a place for you to come together and uh to bond over your shared love um, and to uh, motivate each other to uh, to find out about you know cre- new creators, um, and it became this. Um, we started to build from there. We started to build off the idea of just coming together, and we said, "Hey, let's let's actually do some stuff." You know, we have a lot of creators in the group. Let's produce something. So we actually have uh, an art book 
that we put out um, to spotlight some of the creators. Um, we started work on a, a comic book and then we started to do these monthly drinking draws um, with the twist being that we would have a live model and the live model would be a cosplayer. So that was another way to incorporate another aspect of the comic book pop culture world, cosplaying, and also allow people the chance to, um, to uh, practice their life drawing skills and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. for me, it was always more than just, oh, let's get together and discuss who's stronger, Superman or Hulk. You know what I mean? That's, that's easy. Anybody could do that. Uh, that's common. But it was like, you know, we're going to get together. We're going to have those discussions. Yes, but no, let's actually work. Let's actually do some stuff. Let's build and, and, and really hone some skills. And you can leave a meeting feeling like, yo, this was an all-around great experience, not just meeting with friends, but also doing some stuff. And um, yeah, and we have grown to the point now where we have a branch in Barbados. And we're talking with some other people about setting up a branch in other cities as well. Wow. That sounds amazing. I mean, you do a, a live Instagram. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing we started doing because, uh, you know, the world being what it is now with COVID, uh, mm -hmm. we decided to utilize the uh, online presence. Mm -hmm. And um, we started doing these lives uh, every week at five o'clock um, from five to seven. And it's funny because when I started doing it, it was, I was, I only wanted to do it bi-weekly and it was only one hour. I was thinking about, ah, oh, we don't have the time mm -hmm. and nobody's going to be interested in, in the, you know, in what we're doing. Next thing you know, here we are, 25 episodes later, well, 26, and we just did a three and a half hour show um, because of the demand for it. So, um, yeah, man, we, you know, we, we're trying to incorporate some, um, some stuff. And uh, this week coming up, actually, um, we are going to bring back the live drawing aspect of it. So we're going to have a model and we're going to be, she's going to pose for us and we're inviting everybody who, you know, who watches the, the program to, you know, get your pencils and pens and uh, paper and draw along with us or tablet, whatever it is you use. <laughs> All right. Hey, Wally McNair just joined us, Sean. So woo -woo! Yeah. now it's a party. Yep. Now it's a party. What's up, big dog? What's good, fellas? Peace. Man, yeah. just, um, it's blessed, man. It's good to hear you, Wally. It's been too long, brother. No, way, way too long. I think last time I saw you was uh, New York, like the uh, the mini New York show they was trying to do for a little while. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, it's been a minute. That was that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So, ages, man. So for our listeners out there, we have back on the show Wally McNair. Uh, Wally is been in the business for 10 years. Uh, he was publishing under Gorilla Bread Publishing. Uh, he's done things like Black, uh, Black Panda, Skull Kids, Fairytale Nights, King Supreme. Uh, and now he has a new press called Once Emperors Publishing, which is now out on Kickstarter. And they're now throwing two of their major books out there. One King Supreme and a new one, Super Bastard. So, congrats! I appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, Wally, let's let's jump right into it. Let's talk about Once Emperor's Publishing, King Supreme, and Super Bastard because you got a Kickstarter out there, my man. And let's 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 get going on it. 
Man, um, you know what you want to know, brother? Tell tell me what you want me to want me to bore the people with, and yeah. I'd be happy to bore their brains. Yeah. So, how's it going with the Kickstarter so far? I mean, it looks like you've got twenty three days to go. You got sixty four backers. How's the process been for you? Man, it's, you know, it's been it's been a lovely process, bro. Uh, yeah, we're one hundred twenty four percent funded. Twenty three days ago, like you said, sixty four backers. So now it's just pushing to those stretch goals. You know what I mean? Um. People have been super supportive. I'm just trying to make sure I'm doing everything in my power to reach people who still may not be aware. People who haven't who are on the fence teetering back and forth, you know, just trying to make sure we don't we don't rest before it's time to rest, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's nerve wracking. It, it's nerve wracking. I mean, Sean, you can attest to this because you've done Kickstarters. I mean, you're part of the Destination Earth project. So. Mm-hmm. It's very nerve-wracking. Wally, you've done work on the Decimation Earth project, so, and you've done both done extensive Kickstarter. So it's nerve-wracking doing these crowdfundings. You know, it's it's very hard not to sit there and just watch it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 watch that number just stay there for like four days, and mm-hmm. and slowly seeing the ticker go down on the days to go. Right. And um, I think the the nature of it too is that almost like you have to. You have to, you know, is a constant, is a constant, is an animal you have to constantly keep feeding. Right. You know what I mean? So you constantly have to do uh, promotion for it and reminders and, and all these other things. So, you know, that after a while, you know, it's like some people think you could just set it and forget it. But as you know, that adds to the nerves of like, oh, man, I got to make sure I keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. Right. So right. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I talked to new new people who are doing new projects all the time and they some people come in just thinking yo once i put it up there i'm, I'm gonna get funded right and it's like nah <laughs> nah that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not how it works like i mean if it, really really fortunate it might be how it works but nah in most cases like sean said you got to put in that work you got to you got to work these campaigns as hard as you work creating characters drawing panels and <laughs> whatever else you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's true right right so let's jump into it. So our subject today, one of our subjects, uh, is the rise of black horror in media. Mm. I want to get your guys' thoughts about it. I want to get your guys' ideas of what you think, the, how this is going to evolve, especially in the world of comic books and in the world of television and film or even animation. So, I mean, you know, we've had... Um, I think Jordan Peele has had two successful movies uh, in this genre, Get Out, and the last one, I can't remember Ant- the title Antibellum, of Antibellum, I believe it was. Uh, Antibellum is another one. Us. Uh, us. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Us. And there, us, and uh, that's Jordan Peele. And then there's one on Hulu called Bad Hair, mm-hmm. which... I want to think Chris Rock is involved, but I don't think so. But I did see Usher make an appearance on it mm. uh, in the trailer. And then, of course, you have Lovecraft Country. So let's mm-hmm. let's chop it up and let's see how you guys feel about this. Um, I, I well, I mean, this is something you know. This is something that's been around for a minute. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, normally I would say you know Nubian here in place of black, but for the sake of the podcast and the people, I'll say black. Right. So um, there's actually a documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. 
No, I haven't no, seen I haven't that. seen that. Yo, check it out. It's amazing. Um, I'm not sure what it's on right now. It might I don't think it's on Netflix, but it's called Horror Noir, a history of black horror. And I was fortunate enough to see it in uh, when they did a screening for it. I was fortunate enough to interview the director of it, this young Nubian lady. She's amazing. She's from Philly too. Uh, so Dave, that might be somebody that you want to reach out to. Um, okay. I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, man. So you know, black people in horror has been around for a while. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't it, it hasn't stuck around as much as as it should have. Um, and we are seeing this resurgence of it and um i think what happens sometimes is that people you know they act shocked like oh man this is you know this is new and it's like no nah, this is this is this has been here um it's just it's just now getting some attention you know what i mean that it deserves right. uh i hope i hope that um is a is a genre that is continued to be explored and uh, i'll say one of the things i love does is the social commentary beneath the surface it's like you could still tell a good story you know um but and you can inject these different these different layers through it without forcing it down somebody's throat yeah yeah uh for me i i look at it two different time periods i look at it as a new renaissance i'm gonna use that word for black horror Mm. horror Versus the mm-hmm. old black horror, which I grew up on, like Blackula or mm-hmm. um, a couple other, I guess you would call black exploitation horror films. And mm-hmm. I kind of, I'm kind of excited with what Jordan Peele is doing and, and other directors with this, such as Lovecraft Country and everything. Because let's be honest, usually the character in horror movies who is the black guy usually dies first. Yeah. You know, this is- you know. And in this case, you're getting a chance to see this more in a realm where the actor who is diverse actually experiencing the horror happening to them. Now, Annie Mm -hmm. Bellum, I haven't seen it, but from the sketch, thumbnail sketch I got about it, it is crazy Mm. how the story is set up. Right. Okay. I, I haven't watched it either, um, but it looked like it's it's pretty interesting. And it's got Janelle Monet in it, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> can't go thoughts? wrong. I know. What's your thoughts, Wally? I mean anything that's showing showing us on screen or us in a position of leadership, power, anything that's showing us, I'm always gonna be for. Whether I, it's it's my cup of tea or not. I'm not really huge into horror. Um my 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 wife is a lot of my the people around me are i'm not as big into it personally so i can't speak from a critique standpoint but i did enjoy get out i haven't watched us yet or antebellum um but i'm gonna always be in support of seeing us in positions to tell stories so whether it's something i i'm 100 percent into or not i want to see it happening because i feel like everybody else gets a chance well not everybody but the, the dominant side gets a chance to tell every type of story that they want at any given time, whether it's a great story or not. And it's cool. It, it ha- it's, it's okay. So I just, I look at it like when we get a chance to tell these stories and as we continue to build these opportunities, platforms and outlets to tell our stories, I want it to keep happening, whatever it is. Right. 
Right. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember the one that was Tales from the Hood? Oh, yeah, God. I remember. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that was really a horror. <laughs> I don't know if it was a horror or what it was supposed to be, but it wasn't very good to me. Yeah, I think I think it was supposed to be a horror. Um, <laughs> I'm like Wally, like, I'm not really a big fan of horror. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I... As a Nubian man, I, I live in fear a lot. Right. So is you know, I'm I'm good. I got a you know what I mean? Like I got enough horror surrounding me, so I don't need to be scared. I like a I like a good thriller. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like uh, I would say like the first Saw movie. I like that like that type of stuff. Um, but uh, you know, and and that that's something that we also don't see a lot of black people right. in. Right. Um, that psychological type stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. because there's I think there's different kinds of horror. You know what I mean? Uh, I think you know, Get Out was a good example of that. Like that, that psychological type mm-hmm. horror is. Mm-hmm. The, the, there was the physical horror too, but like I said, that the so the deconstruction of um, of right. society. Uh, anything that you put under the lens enough, it becomes horrific. You know what I mean? Like it reminds me of, um, like you know, you ever see you ever see those uh, those uh, like pictures of like something under a microscope. Yeah. Like really close, and you're like, "Yo, this is disgusting." Right. Mm-hmm. And he could be like, it could be like, like a a glass sculpture. It's like, "Oh, this is beautiful." And then you see up close, you see how like the crystals interconnect. It's like, "Yo, this is weird right. looking." So anything that you you examine close enough is like, "There's some, there's some, there's some stuff going on here." Which I meant to ask, Yo, Dave, can you curse on here or not? Uh, you might as well go ahead. <laughs> okay, because you know yeah. sometimes I got. <laughs> I got a filthy mouth, you know what yeah. I mean? So No, no, man. We're keeping that. it frank. We're keeping it real. Keeping it real. I wanna I wanna respect the, right. the platform. No, you know what we're mean? keeping it real. <laughs> we're keeping it real here. You know. Um, okay. this is just like us getting together. You know, if COVID wasn't around, us just sitting down at a convention mm. or just hanging out, grabbing dinner and just having a frank conversation about things in life and about the industry. So, okay, okay. I like right. that. I like that. Yeah. So my question my question for y'all is um do you, do, as far as it comes to comic books, do would you want to see more horror type comics? I know Wally, you say it's not your thing. David might be yours. Do you think there's a there's a space for that within comic books? I, I, I think there is, and I think with Lovecraft Country, um, and the way that they're ex- they're exploring horror from a different point of view, especially, and you and I have had this conversation about Lovecraft about how mm. they're exploring racism as horror, as along with the creatures that Lovecraft created because he was an overt racist and white supremacist and homophobic and everything. I think there is a way to do it in comic books. However, what I've seen in comic books is more like Saw type mm-hmm. of horror you know, butchering and cutting and slicing, you know, something like hostile. Right, right. Mm-hmm. To me, what you and I are trying to do with the team with Decimation Earth is create that psychological horror, that physical horror, and combine it with the superhero mythology with what we're doing with Lovecraft. That's where I think I would like to see the industry go with that. I mean, I don't want to necessarily read a saw in a comic book. Mm. I can go see that on TV. I want something that visually draws me into the story. And then like next page, I'm like, Oh, you know, you know, that that jump scare. That's Mm -hmm. what I want to see. Because I know there's a lot of it in, um, 
uh, Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, sorry, in um, Japanese culture. Japanese culture. Um, you know, certain, uh, there's like, that's a whole big industry, right. the yeah. horror mangas. And, you know, over here, that was the leading uh, genre before superheroes for a point there. Mm-hmm. Like horror, the horror comics was the big, was a big thing. Um, I think my favorite so was, was Wiki just... City. Wiki City? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then that, is, I, that is a classic. And then I think Akira was the one that set the standard, but would we consider that horror? I, yeah, I, I, was about just about to say, I don't, I don't think I could. I mean, me personally, I don't consider I don't know what the intent was with Akira, but I didn't consider it horror. I thought it was a bad yeah. acid trip, personally, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I like it's, you know, classic sci fi, cyberpunk. Um, it had right. those notes to me mm-hmm. in there. Um, I don't know about horror. Because then, if you think about it, like, one of the greatest homages that people don't consider to uh, to uh, Akira was that, um, did y'all see that movie with Michael B. Jordan where they have powers? Um, what was the name of that movie? Raising was... Isaiah or something? No, no, it was a few years ago. Push? Um Nope. It was Michael B. Jordan was in it before he was Michael B. Jordan, really. Okay. Like, you know, that, that Fruitville era. But it was him. Chronicles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, remember. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know if I watched yeah, it or yeah. not, but I remember the movie. I do remember the movie. Right, right. Yeah, right. Chronicle. That was like, that was back in 2012. But um, that, um, that had severe uh, homages to Akira. And you know, I wouldn't necessarily call that a horror, but it was it's right. worth checking out if you guys see it. But um right, right. I yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think for for me, you know, I'm always gonna say my favorite movie was John Carpenter's thing. That for mm-hmm. me was the standard of what I wanted to go for um when I started writing Decimation Earth. And you and I talked a lot about that you know Wally I talked to you a lot about that and that was what I see it is it's like a slow burn and it leads you into it and then boom next thing you know you've got heads that are severed heads that are turning into spiders um dogs shooting out these tentacles um that's for me is what I really dig is you know the build up to it um, and and then the the ending, the suspense. Yes, the ending. The unknown. The unknown. You know I mean? Yes, the definitely the unknown. Um, you know, I, it's interesting how the industry is is changing. You know, particularly with the character that you're doing now, um, Wally was Super Bastard. How artists like yourself are taking the industry in a direction to be more relevant to what's going on and Sean I see that all the time with some of the drawings that you do and post on Instagram and on Facebook both of you are very uh open-minded about what's going on in 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 the climate right now and both of you express it through your art and your storytelling right I mean I don't I don't think we have no we have a choice to a degree 
And for the record, I guess Super Bass is kind of a horror, a horror story for some people. <laughs> if you're on the other end, mm-hmm. yes, you're on the other end, mm-hmm. what, what he plans to do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would put it. I would put Super Bastard in the category of Lovecraft Country because the horror of and the monsters in that world is racism and. As we know, racism can be most horrific and scarier than Jason to me. Maybe I'm overstepping by saying well, that. No, nah, nah, I think that's that's but, what Sean's point was. Like, as black people, we just go, just leaving the house can be a whole other adventure that you didn't even want to sign up for. So, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I always tell that same thing to people. They're like, "Oh, Yo, you want to go to the movies and see this?" Like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need to be scared. I don't. I don't need anything else to put fear or concern in my heart like i live that every day so i'm good on that that's not gonna scare me really you know what i'm saying like the dude running with the, mm. the machete and the hockey mask ain't gonna scare me really because we don't been through that and more on the outside for real you know what i mean so you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but i also think like us getting to tell these some of these stories from a different standpoint hopefully opens up people to understand that there's more than one way to tell a story and there's more than one way to instill fear. You know, they've always said that, that us as black people are one of the most, us being in position and organized and unified is one of the scariest things ever, which we see, we've seen many examples of that throughout history, you know, on many scales, whether you're talking about Mm. Panthers, Fred Hampton, Malcolm, Marcus Garvey, whoever, like anybody who organized to a certain degree, there was a fear that came out of out of it immediately. Just the conversation of, you know what I'm saying? So and and I think that's what some of that is what Super Bassett hits hits on, you know, the idea of what happens when absolute power that's already corrupted meets something more powerful. Like that would scare the hell out of the average person in power thinking that they can never fall. What happened when the Romans fell? What, what was that feeling like? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's perfect the way you describe it. That's as you're saying, it clicked in my mind is that what we talked about with Super Bastard is you're seeing the barbarians at the gate and the Roman Empire is collapsing from within itself because of detritus, decay, debauchery, or elitism. Um and it's slowly it it, it, it it's like, you know, your super bastard is like Spartacus waking, realizing, hey, I'm no longer going to play this game for the masses, the elite masses. You know, I'm going to stand up for those that they're trotting, uh, trotting underfoot. And that's what I get from Superbass. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have I, I grew up arguing with teachers about Hannibal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I grew up having mm-hmm. to watch this man portrayed as a white man on history channel, you know what I mean? Like these are the things that mm-hmm. you grow tired of because you're just like, look, everybody, everybody got their history intact. So don't further destroy ours. Like let us get a piece of that back. You know what I'm saying? I, that's why I always thought that that scene in black Panther, when Killmonger was looking at the artifacts and was talking to the lady about how mm-hmm. it was like, how you think y'all got these, you know what I'm saying? Like, so mm-hmm. there comes a point mm-hmm. in time when you, you got to go back and get it back. 
and you can work with me on that or you can work against me. That's your choice. But if you choose to work against us, then there's going to be accountability for that. You know, we, we're, in, we're in the age of people not wanting to be held accountable. And we can't move like that no more. Superbass is about, like, look, it's a story. It's entertainment. It's education. But it's a story about, like, look, you're going to be held accountable and the end result is whatever it is, but right now you can't do anything about this. You know what I mean? Which is, go ahead. I, no, no, no. So um, I was just going to say that I love your, you know, what you just said and what you're doing in the message, and it ties back into something that um, David first he started off the segment by saying that. Um, you know, you and I, Wally, you and I, like, uh, with our art right. and the message we're trying to put out there, right? And when you just saying that you argued with your teacher about um, Hannibal, like, that struck, that struck a nerve in me because I, I wasn't a, awake to those type of topics when I was young. You know, growing up in Barbados, um, we, I was, right. I, it's almost like I got spoke for, like, I was in, I was like in a right. bubble in a way, right? Like looking back, all of our school books had right. brown right. skinned people in them. You know what I mean? We were a man, a, the, the majority. I had like maybe like three right. white people went to my school. You know what I mean? I didn't grow up with uh, oppression right. and white people and stuff like that, right? But as a result, I grew up drawing nothing but white people. You know what I mean? It was weird because I didn't have anybody to tell me different. Yeah. I just took my brownness for granted, so to speak. And it wasn't until I came to America and I met the guys at Etbot, the East Coast Black Age Comic Book Convention, Maurice Waters, Yumi Oldham, and uh, Akinshia Brown, that they openly challenged me and was like, yo, Sean, you know, where's the black characters? <laughs> I was like, what? The what? And it, right. it, it, it blew my mind, you know what I mean? And um, no. Having having that part of me awaken, I feel like I'll be doing a disservice to the to the next generation, to the other people who were like me, to not speak out about the stuff that's going on, to not have characters that look like me in my stories, to not have a shirt that says right. I will breathe. You right. know what I mean? Fuck that I can't shit. You know what I mean? Like, no, like and I was talking to another artist and she was saying like um, she doesn't get involved with that type of stuff. You know what I mean? She doesn't. And she's a, she's a sister. She's a Nubian sister. Right. And to each their own, right? I can't tell any person what to create, what to put on their page. She's like, she's not about that. Um, but I feel as a as an artist, we have an ability right. that so many people right. don't. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's imperative that, that Nubian people voice some kind of opinion about what is going on out here and present some kind of imagery to counteract or at least try to counteract some of some of the 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 injustices that's that's occurring you know what i mean or just get a message out there just no, something i, I don't I know that's just me. So, yeah, sorry like, about that. i feel like it is our i feel like it's our duty but i'm like you at the same time like i'm not gonna argue or try to force another artist to do it but i right. but i'm lost on not wanting to to some degree you know in some way like whatever that is for that person because mm. mm -hmm. you know but some people feel like well it, it hasn't mm -hmm. directly hit me so why should i speak on it and i'm like okay well hopefully it never does right. but at the same time I, I would love for you to wake up yeah. and, and realize like if we don't speak for ourselves who else will 
And if you won't speak now, then I yeah. fear when people who are, who are who think like that get into positions of power because I don't know that they're going to do anything to help further the cause. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, like, um, once again, let me just say I'm not coming at anybody who doesn't, right, T. Sean? Because there are some people that probably will be like, yo, Sean, the fact that I'm a brown-skinned person is something. The fact that I'm putting on imagery of brown-skinned people is something. And to some degree, it is. You know what I mean? I really do believe it is. We need to see more of that. Uh, but I think there's also the, the chance to inject something a little bit more. It's about layers, you know what I mean? Because so often just having some person in that seat will can be overlooked easily. It can be overlooked right. as, uh, oh, you got lucky, or um, this is uh, nepotism, or is like whatever, you know what I mean? There's, you know, there's, there's a chance to come up with some kind of excuse right. of you just, just being there. But if you use that platform to then have a voice and, and speak out about something, I think it right. adds right. so I much agree. more I resonance. Agree. Yeah, and with with that said, you know, how important is it for us to have heroes that look like us and that are from, that represent us from our experiences to our cultures to what's going on in the political climate right now? You know, if we look at Milestone Comics, they're coming back with uh, Static Shock. And they've kind of changed the story of how Static Shot's getting his powers. He got his powers doing a Black Lives Matter uh, protest, a rally where the police use experimental tear gas against him and other protesters. And that's how the Bang Babies came about right. now in this time span. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's majorly important for us to have representation, for anybody to have representation. And, but when some people don't get it because they've had representation for so long, you know, let's just look at Marvel. Marvel, Marvel characters have a 50, 60, 75 year jump on anything that the three of us create right now, period. You know what I'm saying? And so when people are like, yo, well, if y'all don't like this, just go create your own. Like we doing that. But Marvel started somewhere before they became what they are today. And we got to fight through a horde of things. What was the competition for Marvel and DC back then? It was nothing like what what where we are now. And but that aside, like who doesn't want to see something that looks like that? I did a book called Fairy Tale Nights because my daughter, at four or five years old, came to me and and said to me, "I love seeing Wonder Woman and this character and that character, but none of them look like me. Why not, Daddy?" And it struck a chord in me, but it's like I can sit here and be upset about what the mainstream is or is not doing or as being fortunate, blessed, however you want to put it, to be able to draw and create and write. I can I can just go ahead and take action and, and give her something to look forward to. So I created that character based on her. She sat with me and helped come up with the storyline, the characters and did a campaign. People supported the campaign. It didn't matter whether they did or not. I was doing it for her, number one, but thankfully people jumped in and helped bring that book to life financially. And it showed her that she didn't have to wait for somebody to provide her 
an example of of herself or beauty or grace or blackness like i can go out here or 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 as sean said being a nubian like i can go out here and, and carve my own path it might not be the easiest thing but i can do it and it's going to mean so much more to me because that's mine and you know david i'm i'm huge on ownership like i stress that all the time you know what i mean but I, I refuse also to just sit and spend all day in a message board talking about what Marvel and DC aren't doing or how they should have did this or they should have did that when there's so many other dope projects out there that I can go check out or create or be a part of or push or whatever. You know what I mean? So representation is definitely important. A milestone meant a lot in a lot of ways to me. I mean, I'm always talking about trying to learn from their ups and downs and, but I also look at what other image and other companies like that have done. And I'm always pushing that too. Like I wish enough of us could come together to, to be the new version of a milestone and, or the new, whatever the new, you know, whoever, whatever the entity is. And there are some people doing it. There are some people that are unifying and pushing it and building these different entities up. But I think at the end of the day, I want to see more of us in positions and I want to see our people supporting, not waiting until something becomes hot because it's over at Marvel or DC or IDW or wherever, like support it from the ground up, help it get there, especially if you know it's worthwhile. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, me personally, um, I just feel like what we need in the industry uh, uh, are books with more white people. Uh, I feel like there's a shortage. Of yeah, that. I was just so I was waiting. I was waiting. I was, I was like, um, but let me listen. He, he might be going somewhere that I'm missing right now. <laughs> I love I love to mess with Dave, you know, because Dave Dave sometimes takes everything I say so so real, so right. serious. And he's <laughs> I'll hear the pause and he's like, wait, what? So uh but uh no, nah, you know, and uh Wally, you just said something, man, that I love as as far as um, you know a lot of people it's easy to say and complain about shit you know what i mean it's easy to say and complain right. about what marvel and dc and all the bigger guys aren't doing and then but what are you doing about it and nothing and then it, it becomes this thing of i think a lot of people want to take the easy route right so it becomes like oh well you know what right. i wish superman was black and they'll they'll draw a black superman and then they'll draw a black batman <laughs> or a black goku and nothing pisses me off more than that. Like, I'm so, I hate it. I can't stand it. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't need, I don't need Clark Kent right. to be black. Right. I don't need Peter Parker to be right. black. You know right. what I mean? Uh, I like a Miles Morales. Um, or the hundred, the hundred other characters out there that are Nubian, right. that don't get representation. You know what I mean? And I started doing something called, um, I started doing something called um, New Perspective, where uh, I take characters, uh, black characters that, you know, people might be considered washed up or cheesy or whatever, or even ones that people don't know right, enough about. Right. And I do a like a revamp of them, you know what I mean? S to get kind of to show like, yo, these characters do exist right. and right. they're right. they're cool if given the right treatment. And most of the time, and what I do, right, and what I do is that I don't do the... Um, I don't do the um, uh, like a, a complete alternate universe take on them. I read their history and right. I find a right. way to make it work within continuity. You know what I mean? Just to show like, nah, all it needs right. is just a little imagination. You can make these characters work. You know what I mean? Um, 
so I love I love what you're saying as far as like yo you know stop stop complaining and do something to showcase how you know either new characters or characters that need more attention like you know Bishop I love Bishop you know what I mean I want to see more you know I want to see him get a too, solo man, movie it's, it's, or something you know people I mean? want something so bad but they've known this other thing so bad that they just turn to that first like well just just throw some blackface on it if if that's what we want to call it right and that'll make me happy for now that'll satisfy me but it's like no that'll never get the the run that'll never right they'll never take that and make it a main focus because other characters mm-hmm. already set established and and it's not gonna go that way you know what i'm saying like so why not uplift these other characters mm-hmm. that exist that could just use a little bit of tweaking and become something. Why not go and seek out other characters that are out there and help get it to that position? You know what I mean? We we knew what a, a black leading character could do way before Black Panther was, mm-hmm. was made. And as soon as they announced it, we already were aware of where this goes. But mm-hmm. the rest of the world had to be shown. But even after that, mm-hmm. some people still don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And and, and of course, all respect due to Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Of course, respect due to Black Panther as in general. But that's still not something that we own mm-hmm. or that that started with us. You know, thankfully, Chadwick, Mike Coogler, the whole cast took yeah. it, owned it in that moment to make it something to show what we are we are capable, which we already knew. We knew it's just getting everybody else on board to believe. And that's right. Just, not to segue it yeah. back to me, but just to make the point. That's why I call it once emperors. Like I want us. Of course, I want to influence anybody, but I definitely want to influence. I have two kids. I want to influence us to know who we are, where we come from. You know what I'm saying? The the the, the fact that our who our people, our bloodline, mm-hmm. we come from something royal. We come from something powerful. The world wouldn't be what it is today had it not been for our contributions, which don't get talked about in school. You know, I had a my daughter had a lesson today um, in school where the teacher was amazed like she's talking online to the kids and she's amazed that a black person created security systems that go in homes and she's just going on and on like oh my god this is so fun and it was a black woman mm. and she's like oh my god da, 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 da. and i wanted to jump up and grab a computer and be like yo <laughs> like you that shot for real though but i said you know what at the same time mm-hmm. why am i shocked that she's shocked like who taught who would have taught her that prior you know what i mean so it's, it, it is what it is, right. and it's a part of us mm-hmm. reclaiming and putting that position back and putting that that idea back on it. Like, yo, we've always been great. Just like other Irish people believe in their culture and who they are, and this group, mm-hmm. whatever group, like, has no problem being proud of who they are. And we as a people have multiple multiple aspects of our culture that mm-hmm. have influenced culture worldwide, period, point blank. And we just got to make sure that we don't forget that mm-hmm. and we don't lose sight of that while we're getting caught up in celebrating all these other entities that exist out there. Right. Right. And and it's for me, that's one of the things I miss about um, uh, comic book conventions. It, there's nothing I love more than when um, yeah. a woman comes up with a Wonder Woman right. shirt and I flip right. to my drawing of Nubia. And blow their mind, and they're like, right. "Wait, what? She had a twin sister. Right. What? What is amazing? You know what I mean?" Um, and then, um, or even, and then, like you said, Wally, you know, being able to show them some of your own characters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so the main book I have is uh, the Street Team book 
that I did with me and uh, my street team crew. Shout out to the street team crew. And we're all brothers, you know what I mean? Uh, all indie. And um, one of the questions I get, which is kind of kind of sad, is that <laughs> right. you know, somebody will be like, wait, right. y'all black? And y'all made right. this? Right. Like, yeah, brother, right. y'all work together? <laughs> There's no conflict. And he knows it's like, yo, yes, we can do yeah. that. Yes, yeah. we can make our own stuff. Yes, it can look professional. You know what I mean? It's and it's it's heartbreaking that 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 you know like we don't have that standard for ourselves, but it's also incredibly um uh fulfilling that you right. know some person right. can because don't get me wrong, I do fan art, I love fan art, that is something, and um you know, there is part of it that is a business. I am, like, to be honest with you, making that, I do plan on making that move out of the fan art biz. I do want to switch up how I do fan art, because right. I, I do like it. I do like having my interpretation of these characters I grew up on. I'm trying to see how to make it work, but I can't lie. There's something that 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 hits me right in the heart when a person is like, right. oh, man, this is, this, this is cool. Let me get that street team. You know what I mean? They go past my Omega Red, right. the Hulk, the Darth Vader versus Hulk and all that, and they pick my book. That's incredible. And of course, if they pick right. one of my other right. drawings too, I get it. You know, these characters have been around forever and they relate to them and they do like my art. Um, so, you know, I, I do like that, but there's nothing like a person it's, being It's probably one of the most your, fulfilling your things, man. And I'm, I'm the same as you, Robin. I've been so. trying to weed out or push, decrease the amount of fan-related stuff, even though I enjoy it. Like you said, like it's a, it's cool to see if you see what you can do with these characters and everything. Right. But I've you know I've been trying to push to where my table was predominantly things that I took part in creating, you know. Um, but like you said, we understand the the business side yeah. of it. Like if they see these cool takes that we do and that draws them over there, then hopefully that gives us a chance to introduce them to the, to the other things in some form or fashion. Even if they don't pick everything up today, they just remember. And, and back to that Nubia thing, like that's one of the most fulfilling things. The mm -hmm. first few times I had, I had somebody pick up a new, see Nubia and they were like, Oh, you made her black. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, nah, I didn't make her black. She was already black. <laughs> now, let, let me give you the story. And I had a lady come mm. back one year, yeah. three years straight. Yeah. I think it was, I forget, I think it was like North Carolina Comic Con or something. And she would bring more people with her to have me tell the story of Nubia because even though she had told mm. it, she felt like it would be, it was better coming from the person that had first put her onto it. You know what I'm saying? So it was cool. It was cool, man. Mm. Nice, yeah, David. We don't cut you out, yeah, man. I'm sorry, we'll bring feeling, you back man. in, bro. Can't lie. Nah, nah. I was just, nah, I was just cool, thinking man. the same that's thing. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I was the but let, let's let's flip it a little bit more into um, for you, Sean, the characters that you created for Decimation mm -hmm. here and how you envision them and you Wally because you've done well, let me say this too real well. quick man because I've, I've been I've, I believe and, in it and I try to push myself to do it more and more when I get the chance Sean yo bro you are you are mm -hmm. a beast mm -hmm. not just with these characters but definitely what you've done with these characters as well like just let me pay my respects right now much respect man man appreciate that brother don't be on here trying to make me blush Wally don't do it bro 
Um, no, man, thank you, man. And likewise, too, you know, I've, uh, I've, it's good to say when it feels good to be like a genuine fan of, of, of somebody Indeed. and really want to, you know, support their work and see them, see them blossom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things, you know, let's talk about that process. Uh, and I think that's important is let's talk about the process of how the writer and the artist work together in creating characters and Wally, you jump in here, and Sean, you you know, let's talk about how we developed our characters, the look for them, and what is the most important thing for you as an artist working with the writer and creator of a story and bringing to life these characters. Well, um, I mean, I think this was Desmond Sheriff was one of those things. Like when I came up with the idea <laughs> and okay. hired you, okay. Okay. it was All it right. was. Um, no, man. Um, Decimate Sheriff was one of those things where I was eager to draw. When you when you originally approached me with the um the concept and and you gave me the elevator pitch, and you said, uh, you know, Cthulhu creatures, superheroes, and steampunk. I was sold. There wasn't really much else I needed. Um, and you know, doing freelance work. Sometimes it comes down to, oh man, you know, I, I, I gotta pay, I gotta pay bills. This is a job. But when you get that beautiful mix of like, yo, I really, really want to work on this and you get paid for it is incredible. Um, so the, the, the beautiful thing about working with Dave too, um, was that he has a very solid idea of his world. Um, even if it's some stuff that I come on afterwards and like, yo, we should try this, try that. You know, the concept was, was the base, the foundation was there. And um, for me, I try to work off of the creators and the writers vision first and foremost. I think, um, you know, a lot of people come sometimes coming with a lot of ego. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell this story real quick. There was a, I'll, I'll keep the innocent innocent. I won't say any names, right? But uh, there was a project years ago where this, uh, these people hired an artist to create some um, some characters for them, right? They already had the characters formed. And this guy went off and he drew the characters, but he drew them the way he wanted to draw them. And when people complained, he said, well, that's how he's, you know, he was, he was very much into... Uh, you know, the cosmos and that type of, you know, that type of stuff. You know what I mean? What, like one of those, one of those brothers with like uh, the nose feathers and the nipple rings and the sandals and the, you know what I mean? Uh, chewing the incense and stuff. So he was like, you know, this is how the, the cosmos showed me it should look. So for instance, there was one character. She was um, like an urban bounty hunter woman, right? And she had on like, she, her, her look was jeans, boots, uh, a leather jacket and a shotgun. Right, he drew this woman <laughs> in sandals, a see-through nightgown, and a sword. And the woman said, "But that's not my character." And he said, "Well, that's how I I saw her." And it was like, "What?" So that's why I try not to do. I, I try not to come up with any kind of ego, and I go based off of the creators and their vision. Then along the way, you know, depending on once I get a feel for it and stuff, I might be like, "Yo, you know what could work." we should try this or we could do this. Um, and let the, I try to let the process be as organic as possible. Um, and, but with, with Dave taking those elements of steampunk, I started doing, like I do a lot of uh, Google searches, you know, 
um, you know, Pinterest has a lot of good stuff. And uh, I pull up a lot of reference. Like, okay, let me get into the steampunk world. Um, right. And then, okay, how do I mix in the superhero element? You know what I mean? What would function within that world? And um, it comes down to right. letting the characters speak to you, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, what is What works for this? Thinking of the world as a whole, what works within this world? No, like, don't matter. I know if Wally, you could, you know, this is your process, but for right. me, no matter how fantastical the story is or right. the world is, right? That world still has its own laws and, and rules, you know what I mean? To a certain extent. So I try to figure out what are the rules of that and work within that and let the characters breathe and create. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of, I try to have a lot of back and forth with the creators. Hey, what y'all think about this? And um, till, till the, the character, births themselves and, and comes to life. And sometimes I get it right on the nose and sometimes, you know, it right. takes a little reworking and sometimes Dave will be like, just do you. Uh, or, you know, this is, this is one. I think one of the greatest examples of that has been, yep. uh, is it Gravestone, Dave? Gravestone, one of my favorite uh, character designs in there was um, right, like one right, of those right. uh, uh, Bob Ross happy accidents type of thing. And um, it just, you know, it just came together out of like divine inspiration type of thing. And luckily, Dave was, liked it. So, uh, yeah. Thunder Beast. No, he's my favorite character. But as far as the best example of like happy accidents, it was Gravestone. Like that was one of the ones where I just kind of right. like, I just, you know, it's like the pen did the drawing for me, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, Battle, but Battle Beast is my favorite character just because I have a big thing for cats for some reason. I like and I, I like anthropomorphic characters too. So like cats and uh, werewolves mm-hmm. are my two favorite yep, loves. I remember, yep. And I'm good. You ever played Bloody nah. Roar? Anybody remember that video game? I never played it. Yo, that okay. game. Yo, see if you could look that up, Dave. But there's a there's a tiger in there, a tiger character long. That was my right. character right. for the foot late. I, I didn't want to pick nobody that. else. David, I'm, I'm good. That's my boy right there. That's it. No need to. No need to mention it. If it's not mad, if it ain't mad, he ain't playing. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, not Oh, really okay, okay. You up on uh, Mortal Kombat, you know. Stop it. Now, <laughs> I'm let's, not, let's not go into Street Fighter. Let's stop right there. Oh. <laughs> Oh, so you just stand in the corner and, and tap the buttons real fast. That's what you saying, Dave. Uh, <laughs> 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 or that swipe. Wow. We way more advanced than yeah. that over here, so that ain't mm. that ain't gonna work. That ain't gonna work. <laughs> 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 hey, uh, I put cam- I turn cameras that's on. That's like a challenge, Wally. That's games, only you about to challenge somebody, man. In case, in case they get online and try to get slick, I can just upload it real quick. I ain't even got to do no talking. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yo, oh man, I got this idea for like a a, a fighting game. That would be dope comic book 
want to do at some point, man. Are you thinking think of? Are you thinking of doing one of those crazy things freaking, I see on uh, mm-hmm. in books now, fiction, where the person ends up in the video game? Because I've seen a lot of comic books and, and manga doing that. Mm. Nah, nah. This was like sometimes I develop. I got concepts that come to me as different things. You know what I mean? Like I don't see them as like they have to be. Oh, this I'm gonna come up with this property and it has to be a movie and a TV series and a comic book and a, a board game. Like I came up with it. I had this concept come to me that I was like, I wanna see this as a oh, RPG uh, role playing. Uh, uh, what's the Final Fantasy type games? Um RPG. I saw it as an RPG, right? And right. that's it. But then, you know, along the way I was like, Oh, it, it might be easier to sure. do it as a comic book. But I wanted it to feature all Caribbean characters. And it was actually going to be that have those elements of bloody war where it was going to be a person and then they have like this altered form that they can transform into. And um, and it was going to be based in like this futuristic yeah, yeah. Caribbean setting. Um, I'm going to say too much more. I'm going to give them too much more. But uh, <laughs> yeah, man, you know, because you know what's um, something that uh, uh, you know, people overlook is that with you know the the African diaspora, there's so much, there's so many right. levels to it. So it's like, what about Caribbean representation? If we're talking representation, right. um, and we're talking Nubian representation, Black representation, what does that mean? You know what I mean? There's like so many avenues and ways to explore that. And I remember I was at a, I was at a conference, and I had to do a panel, right? And a friend of mine was doing the panel. He was moderating. And um, we were, I think we were talking about character design, funny enough. And um, he said, well, you know, I think one of the questions was, Sean, well, how do you create your characters? And then, you know, I gave her the basic breakdown and started talking about, you got to put yourself into the, the mind of the character and their world and what will they do, won't do, what's going to make them look different, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, one of the hardest things for me was like coming up with like all the levels of creating a quote unquote black character, right? And it was a, this particular character I was talking about was a female. And one of the hardest right. things for me was in the story, does she finish college? I wanted, because I wanted it to be that she was a college dropout, right? But anything I do is for a purpose. So she was right. a college dropout. She's an artist, like myself. It's based on me. I'll say that, right? The character is an immigrant from Barbados. She moved to this fictional city in America. She went to art right. college, even though I didn't go to art college. But she goes to art college, and she's an anarchist, right? And she's a, she's, a bit, she's a rebel. And she drops out of college because it wasn't doing anything for her. She felt it was taking her money. It was a corporate system. And it came based off of a conversation I've had with some artist friends of mine who did go to art school. And they're like, yo, if they could do it all over again, they wouldn't because it, it, was, it was a ripoff, right? And I said, yo, I want her to, to be... To, to, to leave college to make a statement. But I, I was like, yo, am I perpetuating the stereotype of Nubian right. people not being educated or not finishing something? And I struggled with that, you know what I mean? In the end, I, I had it that she she did leave the college. I, I kept it high, I had it, you know what I mean? For, the, for, for me to make a statement about her character. Um, and hopefully people will read more about her and you know, see, there's there's nuances to it, but I think that's one of the toughest things about creating black characters. That right. 
right. there's not enough room for because us because there's so many stereotypes and so many to have flawed characters preset things mm-hmm. yeah yeah so 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 Sean whenever I created Decimation Earth and gave yeah. it to um, that's, David, that's, that's the hardest thing for me <laughs> <laughs> you know just gotta make sure he remembers mm-hmm. you know I, I was there I remember <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You guys just want to take credit for nothing, but that's all right. I love you guys anyway, like fam. Wait, thank you. I'm curious about saying, Wally. So, so how when you get into the process of creating your characters and creating and creating Super Bastard and stuff, like you know, for you, does it start with like, yo, you got this idea of an image? You know what I mean? You know what they look like? Or do you like you go? It's, it's, to, Damn, I want to tell a story. Um, Sometimes it, it can so. be like I'll start trying to characters? conjure up. Most of the time, it's the story that hits me first. Like, man, I want to want to be like to talk about this. And as that's starting to develop in my head, I'll then I'll start trying to figure out what that mm-hmm. looks like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, is it is it a male, female? The was the, is the costume this that was super mm-hmm. bastard? It was just like. I wanted it to feel like he was going to, like, oh, this is a dude going to a ceremony who just happens to be in shape. He's going to some kind of ceremony that's culturally, like, deeply tied into culture because he's not, there's no emblems on him. His colors are red, black, and green. He looks like he just pulled out some nice slacks and just happened to have this dope-ass robe, cloak, turban, I mean, this robe, cloak thing on him, like, ceremonial like i just wanted to look like he's coming to something that means something you know what i mean whereas king supreme it was all about what makes him feel like a traditional superhero who's not a traditional guy in the costume so it varies man and a lot of times it is that what you were saying about trying to get into the world what what is this what is the environment what what is i I try to be the character if that makes sense and and just you know, and and like you might walk in, in the office, and I'm gonna land on the couch, turning flips or something. Like, mm, definitely, like <laughs> something I wouldn't do in public, but in here I can just kind of wild out for a moment. Like, yo, how would they stand? Mm-hmm. How would they move? What's the posture like? You know what I mean? Like, how how does his face change when certain things are said to him, or, or what is her, what is her energy when she's charging up or whatever she's doing? You know, so I, I go through I go through all that, man. Then then I'll actually start trying to put the pen to paper or the stylus to the to the tablet and start figuring out what that looks like and just body shapes first and then i'll start trying to figure out costume and capes no capes and yada 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 you know whatever whatever the character might be because everything ain't capes but just based on what the character is the environment of the character but the weird thing about comics too and Mm -hmm. i applaud you i might have said this to david when when i first saw the designs i was like sean is 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 a beast because most people will be trying to streamline these looks to make them as easy as possible. And he's keeping the detail in there, which is really the era we probably both grew up on where everything just had dope details. You know what I mean? But you look around now and you see a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that's still cool, but it's so streamlined and it's because people are automatically like, well, if I get to make this a toy, I need to make it. It's that, that industry mentality. I need to make it, as easy to make as possible, as little plastic as possible, yada, yada, yada. And so, you mm-hmm. know, that, that 90s era was a crazy era. And, of course, if you're into anime, especially, 
well done anime, you know, Ghost in the Shell, Akira, any of those Cowboy Bebop, like the detailing and or, or you know, there's a lot more you can name, but just just the details and, and design. Sometimes people get away from it's just like we put some spandex on them and slap a color on them and he's done, <laughs> you know, which is nothing against that. Nothing against that. Mm. <laughs> now, well, Ashley Wally, uh, I pissed myself off. I I want I want to stop doing that. Right. <laughs> like like sometimes I'm drawing something and I'm like, why did I add all this shit? Damn! Like I'm like, oh my god! But uh, so thanks for saying that, man. Um, the, you know, I think for me that you know, I think it is that era I grew up in, man, where it's like, um. I'm like detail oriented and uh, some of my favorite artists are more detailed, you know, the Travis Charades, stuff like that. But um, I look at uh, somebody like Tom McFarlane's right. toys, right. you know, and he was like, yo, he wanted to, to, to change the industry. You know what I mean? Love him or hate him. Um, right. You know, Todd is known for like doing things his way and going that little extra length. And he's a super detailed artist too. Yeah. But he was like, I, I want to, a lot of my stories end up being like um, real gritty. Right. I, I think the, right. the greatest challenge for me would be to to draw like a kid's book and not make it bloody and gritty. I'm trying to see if I could do that. But uh, I like, that's why I was always a fan of um, the more um, street level vigilante type guys and like being in there with the muck and all that. And like some of my favorite scenes right. of Spider-Man right, right. is like when the, the lizard has like bust him up and he's got like the half mask, right. his glass is shattered, you know what I mean? And his cloth costume yeah, is ripped. It's like, oh shit, like he's he's going through it. Like that. Go ahead, David. Jump on back in. We're gonna let you back in. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. For me, it's the right. I feel bad. I'm sorry, David. I mean, I'm Wally too. I, I mean, I, working with artists like you to bring the characters to life. I mean, I mean, it's the fact that Aww, you know I have you, a Dave. vision and I sit down and we talk about it and and we give each other room to work and then boom, it's like oh that's it, right there, you know. And I think the way the characters mm. are, are created helps for me, the writer to be able to tell the story more because, you know, remember what we talked about thunder beast when we talked about doing thunder beast and you came back with the design. I was like, well, I guess I can't kill him off. And then you were just what? I was like, yeah, I had a, I had plans to kill him <laughs> off in the story, but the way right. he was designed and how hard he was, I couldn't kill him off. I have to keep him, you know, um, for at least two or three issues. Um, but yeah, for me, that's the beautiful <laughs> of it. The beautiful piece of it is when the characters come together and it helps me tell the story, you know. And you know what's messed up? I'm one of those guys that I, I like when, when um, mm -hmm. characters get killed off, especially yeah. like in indie books, right. because there's no rules, right? You could do whatever. So it's mm -hmm. like, yo, take him through the ring, make him lose a hand, kill him, you know what I mean? Like all that shit. And, but when he right. said about Thunder Beast, I said, what? I don't, <laughs> that was like the one thing I was like, no, whoa, whoa, hold mm -hmm. on. No, let's, let's rethink this. <laughs> but uh, kudos to, kudos to, for Dave for being that kind of fearless type of creator too, man. Um, I know for me, I know how you feel about this, Wally, but I don't think I ever want to work on any property that's like right. 300 issues. 
Right. I like when like certain animes end. I like when certain books end. Like you know what I mean. Even if you have a spinoff or one of the other, you know, like right. one of the supporting characters gets his own thing, or there's there's a different story told in that world. <laughs> right. That's right. good, right. but I don't need a part five and part six of the Matrix. You know what I mean? Three story. You know what I mean? Like I I don't even want to see like right. another Neo. I know they're right. going right. to revamp right. it and shit, but. Give me a whole different story. I'm so sick of Star Wars at this point. I'm tired of it. Over and you're, over you're, and you're, over you're, you're, you're trying to give this illusion of a revamp, but you're telling the same yeah, story I, just I only, with new characters. That's why I normally tend to, when I'm doing my over own projects, do over, man. graphic like, novels what? or whatever, because like, I uh, try to go ahead and tell the story I want to tell. And, and, you know, of course, there could be room to tell some, like you said, some spinoff stories or whatever, but... I, I I've only had one character that I could maybe see myself mm-hmm. uh, doing a long run on, but if I got the choice, I wouldn't. <laughs> like, I just I, I'm like you, man. I like going on and telling the story we're gonna tell and then move on. You know, what else? We got something else we can talk about now. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, fellas, we've had a good yeah. time today on this episode. I appreciate you taking your time to come in and have a chat session with me. Um, everybody, Sean and Wally will be back uh, on uh, some more episodes. I don't know if they're going to consistently come back, but they will be back on the episodes uh, with Decimation Studio Podcast. So I want to thank you, Sean, and I want to thank you, man, Wally. It's a pleasure, man. And I want to thank I our listeners. Everyone have a good You're welcome. Yeah. Peace. No. All right. Man.